Uh, we are in the middle of summer, as Jake mentioned in the, the beginning, at the beginning of summer. Um, and this is kind of an interesting time of year for us because a large percentage of our church is SIUE students. Our numbers kind of go down on Sundays. And then we move into camp season. Uh, so you might look on the back of your bulletin. We have several summer camps coming up. Uh, for uh, all ages, from kindergarten all the way through the 12th grade. Uh, so if you know somebody that falls within that age range that might want to come to camp, uh, or if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, camp is a really transformative time and, and something that we're kind of all in to here at the crossings. All, all four of our churches uh, participate, so we have a lot of kids that participate, uh, and we would love for you and your loved ones to participate as well. So you can go to crossingscollinsville.com slash camp to get all of the latest information about that. Uh, and if you would like to get connected, just talk with one of our leaders uh, and we will get you connected. We would love for you to participate. And we are this week and next week wrapping up our Miracle of Mercy series. We started this series uh, at Easter because we want you to know what God is like. There's a, there's a large misconception out there about what God is like. A lot of people kind of go towards the party hat Jesus, the, the Jesus that approves everything and everybody's fine and there's no real morals or nothing really to worry about that. So you got the party hat Jesus or you've got like the, uh, the, the kind of mean stick in the mud, I'm here to condemn everybody to hell Jesus. You've got two extremes and the truth, honestly, like most things in life, falls somewhere in the middle. Uh, Jesus does have expectations for us. He does have standards for us that are for our good. But at the same time, he is overflowing with mercy. He is overflowing with grace. Mercy is undeserved grace. It's undeserved favor. And I think a lot of times people remain distant from God because they believe that they've done too much bad to be forgiven by God, or they've done too much bad to be loved by God, or God couldn't touch somebody like me. And Jesus comes right into the middle of that mess and says, no, you're exactly the reason that I came here. Let me give you this love. Let me give you this mercy. I'm not going to condone your sin, but I'm going to help you change. So come on, let's go. Let's do life together. And that's what the church is all about. About. The church is his family, where you can get plugged in, where you can make connection with Jesus in a real way, where you can have a support system that's going to help you live out your purpose in life. And believe it or not, you have a purpose in your life. Now, we talk a lot of times about the, the purposes of the church here at the Crossings. If you look on uh, our mission statement that we have out in the foyer, uh, we've got worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and mission. That's really the purpose of the church. And that's also the purpose of your life. And when you think about mercy, when you study mercy in the Bible and how uh, God's mercy shows up, it shows up in all of these areas in, in, in our lives. Whenever we um, show mercy to people, it's an act of worship. Uh, mercy is the thing that helps build fellowship because we cut each other slack and we're able to love one another through some rough stuff sometimes. Uh, whenever we show mercy to people, we're being like Jesus. That's what we call discipleship. I'm actually being like Christ whenever I show mercy to others. Uh, whenever I serve others, that's all ministry is. When I serve others in the name of Jesus, I'm actually showing them mercy. Uh, mercy is what opens the door a lot of times to people wanting to hear about Jesus. So that's, that's the mission. All aspects of the purpose of my life and the purpose of the church are touched by mercy. Mercy is involved in all of it. So it's really important that we wrap our hands, heads around it. 
Uh, it says in Ephesians 5, which you've got some notes in your bulletin, if you want to pull those out, it's going to have all the scriptures we're going to look at, as well as some places for you to take notes. The first passage we're going to look at today is Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says, so be very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. I mean that you should use every opportunity you have for doing good, because these are evil times. So don't be foolish in your lives, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Now, notice it says right there, use how many opportunities? Church, how many opportunities? Every opportunity. Every opportunity, right? That's all of them. Use every opportunity to show people mercy, to do good to people. And doing good is what gives us credibility. You know, we live in a mean world. Does anybody agree we live in a mean world? Anybody out there think we live in a nice world? We really don't. You get out in the world, it's a mean place. Whenever you're kind to people like Jesus was kind to people, you stand out. Whenever you take an opportunity to show kindness to people, it opens the door for good things to happen. And that's an act of mercy. Now the heading on your note says, In a mean world, our greatest witness is showing mercy. That's the first blank on your notes today. In a mean world greatest witness is showing mercy. And I want you guys to connect with the fact when you show mercy to people, you're being like Jesus. It says in Luke 6.36, show mercy to others just as your father shows mercy to you. The primary reason we show mercy to others is because when you get into a relationship with God and you realize how much mercy he's given you, it, it allows you to share it with others because you've been given so much to. It's like it overflows. So today's question is, how can I live a lifestyle of mercy? That's what we're going to answer today. How can I live this lifestyle of mercy like Jesus lived a lifestyle of mercy? It says, uh, actually, first, first blink on your notes here. If I want to live a lifestyle of mercy, number one, start looking and listening for people's needs. If I want to live a lifestyle of mercy, number one, I need to start looking and listening for people's needs. Now, this is a really good starting point. If you want to be an agent of mercy in the world, if you want to be like Jesus, start looking and listening for people's needs, because this is something that we see him do a lot. So when you're at work, look out for people's needs. In your family, look out for people's needs. At school, look out for people's needs. Look out for people's needs. Keep your eyes open. Now, the reason we don't, as we've said often in this series, the reason we don't look out for people's needs is because we're busy. Busyness kills our ability to be merciful because when we're busy, we put blinders on. When we're so focused on the task that's before us, when we're worried about all the stuff we have to do at work, when we're worried about uh, all the stuff we have to do with whatever, we're worried about our responsibilities. I got yard work to do. Uh, oh, my driveway's cracked. I got to fix the cracks in my driveway or whatever. We get consumed with task. When we get consumed with task, we don't look at people. And one of the things we see in the life of Jesus is even in the midst of busyness, he was looking out for people. Even in the midst of a very busy schedule with a lot of responsibility. He was looking out for people. It says in Philippians 2.4, look out for one another's interest, not just for your own. Have you ever noticed that it says that in the Bible? 
Look out for other people's interests, not just for your own. Guys, if you're not noticing, it's not because there aren't needs around you, it's because you're not looking. If you're not hearing, it's not because people aren't expressing needs around you, it's because you're not listening. And that, that's not because you're just a bad person who's unloving and uncaring. It's because you're busy most of the time. I know most of you, most of you are good, good-hearted people, but you're busy. And so we got to put people first. Now, when any of you in here are parents, you know this. When, when you have a toddler, man, they crave your attention, right? Uh, I remember when my dad, when I was younger, my dad used to read the newspaper. We don't have newspapers much anymore. Uh, but a newspaper is actually a paper that you used to unfold and read. It had words on it. Uh, now we do this, right? Is something wrong? Oh, okay. Check. Is that better? Um, we had newspapers, right? And my dad, I remember my dad used to unfold the newspaper, and he'd be sitting there, and you couldn't see his face because it was behind the paper. And so as a toddler, I would run up, and I would whack his newspaper, okay? And just rip it right down the middle sometimes. Now, why did I do that? I wanted his attention. His eyeballs were in the wrong place, right? They were on that newspaper, but I wanted his eyeballs on me. Guys, the, the greatest form of love is not sex. It's attention. It's attention. Because you look at what you love. You give attention to what you love. Uh, attention says you matter to me. Attention says you're worth it. Attention says you're a priority. That's how you show love to people. The greatest asset that you have is your time. And we can get so consumed with task that we overlook people. And that's just not something that Christ did. That's, that's not something that Jesus did. Now, hardworking dads can sometimes wonder uh, why their children or their wife don't feel close to them. And the, the truth is, guys, it's probably because you're not putting your time where it should go. If that's the situation you find in. Sometimes hardworking dads can wonder why they can buy presents all day for their kids. They can provide that car and that house for their kids, but their kids don't feel loved. Well, the reason why is because you're not giving them the time that they need. Time is how you communicate love. We've got to learn to be generous with our time. We've got to learn to be generous with our time if we're going to be agents of mercy in the world. There was a young man that uh, had a lot of problems that came up to Jesus one time. And it says in Mark 10, 21, I love this. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Have you ever read that before? It's a short little verse, and it's easy to overlook in the larger context of the story. But it says right there that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Guys, you look at what you love. You give attention to what you care about. Jesus looks at people and he loves them. Secondly, if I want to live a lifestyle of mercy, number two, don't be repelled by their sins. Don't be repelled by their sins. Guys, don't be that person that gets offended easy. Don't be Karen in the checkout line asking to speak to the manager. Okay, don't do that. Don't be one of those Christians that boycotts everything that offends you. What good does that do? I'm going to boycott the non-Christian world because they're not acting like Jesus. Why are you expecting them to act like Jesus? They're outside of a relationship with him. 
Don't be like that. Remember, guys, mercy is giving grace to people when they don't deserve it, not when they do. That doesn't make any sense to try to, to try to, oh, you got to earn it. You got to get in the spot where you do it. No, that's not what mercy is. Now, Jesus wasn't offended by messed up people, guys. He just wasn't. Uh, he wasn't offended with people who were struggling with sin. He hung around with people who did not know him, who were really broken and messed up to the point that he got accused of being a sinner himself. Why are you hanging out with those people unless you're engaging in the same behaviors they are, right? He wasn't, but he was friends with them, and that offended the religious people in his life. Now, the Bible says that I need to look out for the needs of others. I can't look out for the needs of others if I'm looking down on them. You guys get that? What am I looking at if I'm looking down on them? Well, I'm looking at their sin, and I'm realizing I can't be associated with that person because I'm just stuck with their sin. Now, in point one, we said look out for the needs of others. And in point two, we're saying don't be repelled by their sin. That means sometimes you have to look past their sin to their need in order to love them the way that you need to. People that are outside of a relationship with Christ. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we condone sin. That doesn't mean we encourage sin. It does mean sometimes whenever we're dealing with somebody that's broken, that that's not, we don't, we don't, that's not what we, we don't deal with that immediately, right? Sometimes we got to love past that and then help them over time. And there are some things that Jesus just didn't say. You know, we talk a lot about the things that Jesus said and the things we need to do. There are also some things Jesus did not say. And one of the things that Jesus never said is, oh, you don't have to love that type of person. You know, he never says that. He never says that. He never says, uh, you don't have to love a person when they're involved in that sin. Or you don't have to love a person who believes that about politics. Or you don't have to love a person living that lifestyle. He never says that. He says you love everybody. That's what he says. And it's not a suggestion, it's a command. You love everybody. And that's what he models for us. Now, there were people that frustrated him. And the people that frustrated Jesus the most were the religious people who didn't love very well. They were the ones that aggravated Jesus more than anybody. It says in Jude 1, 22 and 23, Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. Now look here. It says, Love those whose faith is wavering. What does that mean? Well, that means a non-believer. Or that means somebody who's just faltering in their faith and struggling with doubt. That means somebody that says they're an atheist or an agnostic. This is specific to that. It says, you love them. You show mercy to them. That's right here in the scripture. Now it goes on to say, be careful that you're not contaminated by their sins. This is another thing Jesus modeled for us. He loved the sinner, but he never engaged in the sin. He loved the guys that would go to the bars and get hammered, but he never went to be their designated driver with them while they were engaged in that. Okay? He didn't go to the keg party where everybody was doing keg stands. He would hang out with people who went to those kinds of places, but he didn't go there. Because sometimes our presence can condone. Just being there, your presence, you're giving approval to whatever is going on. We don't see him ever engaging like that. 
He hung out with prostitutes, but he didn't go to the brothel. You know what I'm saying? So be careful. Be careful. But at the same time, you got to love people who are engaged in stuff that you don't condone. Jesus never condemned whenever he's engaging with sinners. He also didn't condone. But what he did do is help them change. And the way he helped them change was through loving relationship. It was through showing them mercy. It says in 1 Peter 4.8, Most importantly, love each other deeply. Love has a way of not looking at other sins. Now look, I said in the first point, we need to look out for the needs of one another. I'm saying right here, what this passage says, love has a way of not looking at other people's sins. Don't get so stuck on somebody's sin that you overlook your need to love them. The way you're going to help somebody who's struggling with sin is not through looking down on them. It's going to be through loving them and building a relationship with them through which you can influence them. That's how you help somebody get better. It's not through your looking down your noses like a religious person at them thinking you're better. That's not going to help anybody. That's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt them. It says in Ephesians 4.2, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So underline making allowance. Have you ever needed somebody to make allowance for your faults? I know I have. Guys, we all need this. All of us are broken. None of us are perfect. All of us are going to blow it from time to time. We all need grace. And we need to be people that give grace freely, realizing that we need it just as bad as anybody else, sometimes more than others. Amen? Let's give it. Now, this is a huge principle that will make a huge difference in the world if, if every Christian started practicing this. The principle is don't expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. I get bothered when I see Christians picking on people that aren't believers, expecting them to act more like Jesus. That bothers me. And it bothered Jesus. In Matthew 9, Jesus is going to eat with some tax collectors. And tax collectors were among the most hated Jews in Jesus' day because they worked for the Roman government. They worked for the enemy. And a lot of times these were Jewish men who would steal from their own people on behalf of the Roman government and then pocket a bunch of the money. They were, they were thieves and they were rich. They had more. They had the big house. They had the nice stuff. They had plenty to eat while the poor around them were hurting partially because of these taxes that the tax collectors were making even worse with, with fleecing from the top. They were stealing more. And so it was a racket. So they were hated. They were viewed as traitors. Nobody wanted to hang out with a tax collector. Nobody wanted to hang out with a tax collector. And let me tell you something. Uh, if I want to stop bigotry, am I just going to pass a law that says bigotry is illegal? Do you guys think that would do the trick? What do you think? By the way, we have laws on the books in, in the United States that outlaw bigotry to some extent. Did that help? Did that, did that eliminate it? Do we still have bigotry in our country? Okay, how are we going to change, change bigotry in our country? By not being a bigot, right? Where, how does that, does that come from a law? Or does that come from the inside out? 
That comes from a heart change, right? How do you help somebody change their heart? Do I, do I give them a list of do's and don'ts and, and post it on a billboard somewhere, and if they drive by and read that, it's, going, it's just going to happen? It's just going to, no. The way you help somebody's heart change, guys, is through relationship. It's through your influencing them and getting to the point where they'll listen to you, where you can share with them. It's, it's through friendships. It's through relationships. Jesus is a guy that was big on relationship. Now look at this. Here are these hated people that nobody wanted to have a relationship with. None of the religious people wanted to be friends with. And then in Matthew 9, 10 through 13, look at this. That night, Matthew, tax collector, invited Jesus to dinner with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. Now, guys, these were bad people. Whenever it says they were notorious sinners, it, the Bible means that. These were legit, notorious sinners. These were not good people, okay? These were people that were bad, that didn't love God, and they knew it. And they had been living that way, and they didn't care, okay? It's not just, this, this isn't just lip service. These guys were bad dudes that stole from people and treated people horribly. And it says, Jesus is with these notorious sinners. Well, the Pharisees were indignant. They were indignant. They said, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to be merciful, not offer sacrifices, for I've come to invite sinners to me, not those who think they are righteous. You want to know what I hate? Election season. I hate it because when I log on to social media or when I talk with my friends or all of the, 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 the radio ads and television ads and stuff that are going on right now, man, there are so many religious people and people that I love being hateful to those that disagree with them. Being hateful. Just being straight up hateful looking down their noses. How could you believe something like that? How could you condone something? They don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so in our hatefulness, as we spew hateful words, are we bringing people together when we look down our noses and talk crap to them on social media? No. That's not how you make a friend. Guys, and that's not Christ-like. The way Jesus influenced people is he built a relationship with them. And the people he had the least amount of patience with in terms of not just blasting them were the religious people who were looking down their noses and, and being mean to people. He had no time for that. He corrected it quickly. And those are the same people that put him on the cross. And you guys need to ask before you get up at arms and start looking down your nose and being mean to people because they look different than you or they think different than you. You need to think, is this Christ-like? Before this comes out of my mouth, is this Christ-like? Before I type this, is this Christ-like? Is this going to bring people together? Is this going to allow me to influence people? Is it Christ-like? Just ask that. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And the way I'm going to help the sick is not by preaching at them, it's going to be by being their friend and influencing them through that relationship. They're going to know that I love them. And that's how I'm going to have the relational capital to be able to influence them. 
And guys, isn't it good that Jesus wasn't repelled by our sins? Isn't that good? Now, we can't be that way toward others. If somebody disagrees with you about something or if they believe something crazy, you don't be repelled by that. You see that as somebody that you need to build a relationship with. And the way Jesus does that for us, guys, he came into the world. He came into this sinful world to build a relationship with us. To build relationships with us. Uh, Are we ready for communion? Okay. Uh, We're going to take communion this morning, just kind of following this thought. When we take communion every week here at the crossings, (coughs) either here on Sunday morning or we'll take it as part of our small group, Um, the reason we do that is because Jesus asked us to. Uh, He told told his followers uh, before he went to the cross, he said, I'm going to take this bread, we're going to break it, we're going to give you each a piece. This is my body that's going to be broken for you. Here, take a drink of this wine. This is my blood that's going to be spilled for you. He did this as part of the Passover celebration before he went to the cross. Now, at the time, his followers would not have understood why he was giving them this lesson. It wasn't until later, after the cross and after his resurrection, that they completely understood. Man, he was helping us to understand he was going to freely let his body be broken. He was going to freely let his blood be spilled. Why? Because he wants us, the church, his people, his family, to know this is how committed he is to us. Guys, Jesus is so committed to relationship with people that are far from him that he was willing to lay himself out on a cross with all the power of God at his disposal and let himself be mistreated like that. He let himself be hurt like that. He let them ridicule and make fun and mock and spit on him. He let them do that. He didn't have to. He had all of the power of the universe at his disposal. He could have, at a word, made all of it stop. But he didn't do it. He knew ahead of time it was going to happen. He let it happen, and he did it because he wants you and I to know, this is how committed I am to you. I'm going to take all of your sin onto myself. And I'm going to give you all of my righteousness. I'm going to take all of your death onto me. And I'm going to give you all of my life. I'm going to take all of your darkness onto myself. I'm going to give you all of my light. I'm going to take all of your bad. And I'm going to give you all of my good. And I'm going to make it where you can be just like you were me in life. So that whenever you die and you stand before God, if you have followed me, You're going to stand before the Lord, and it's just going to be like he's looking at me. You think God the Father is not going to let God the Son into heaven and into fellowship with him? Of course he is. And that's what Jesus says. Whenever we follow him, he wraps us up in his glory. Whenever God the Father looks at us, God the Father sees his Son. And that's a good place to be. That's what we need to remember when we take communion. Guys, if there's anything in your life right now that is not honoring Jesus, if there's anything in your life right now, internally or externally, that does not belong in your life, before you take communion, you need to examine yourself and say, 
Jesus laid himself out for me. I'm going to take this communion, and I'm going to remember that, and it should convict you. If you've been living in sin, it should convict you. This is a weekly reminder. You need to repent. And there's, there's resources at your disposal in the Holy Spirit and in this crowd of people. There are people who've struggled with the same thing you have, who have God has helped overcome it. You can get help if you need help, okay? But you've got to be open and honest. Let me pray. And we're going to take communion, and then we will continue with our lesson. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gift of the cross. Thank you for communion. I pray as we take this this morning, Lord, that we will remember all good things come from you. And if we are holding on to anything in our life that isn't of you, it's hurting us. Help us to be convicted and to repent as needed. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the third principle is if I want to live a lifestyle of mercy, number three, I need to choose my words carefully. I need to choose my words carefully. You guys know what a governor is on an engine? Anybody in here have a go-kart? Where's Sean? Sean, do you ever have a go-kart growing up? Okay, okay. So dirt bikes, four-wheelers. Sometimes you need a governor on those things. And what a governor does is it limits the amount of gas that will make it into that engine because if you drive that thing too fast, you're going to kill yourself, right? So sometimes parents, if they let their kids have a little small engine, they'll put a governor on it, sometimes go-karts or other things. Because we don't want that kid to drive so fast, they kill themselves. Now, some of you guys need to put a governor on your mouth because your mouth runs away. And you start saying things that you have no business saying in situations that you have no business saying them. And as a follower of Christ, you better have a governor on your mouth. Mercy requires that you watch your words. Rudeness has got to go. Speaking in anger, if you want to be Christ-like, when did Jesus ever speak in anger? Now, there were a couple times he was frustrated, but even then he weighed his words carefully. Everything that he said was godly. I don't know about you, but when I get frustrated, I can say some dumb stuff and be harsh. I don't even have to be that mad. I can just be a little hungry and tired, you know, a little hangry, right? You start saying things you shouldn't say in ways you shouldn't say them. You get yourself in trouble. That's unchristlike. Guys, how many of you are sarcastic? Did you know that sarcasm is just a mask for anger? You show me somebody that's sarcastic all the time, and that's somebody that's angry. And I'm not even playing around. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying that because there's a slow burn anger in your heart that if you don't get at the root of, it's going to cause you all kinds of problems. It comes out right now in sarcasm. Sarcasm's got to go. That's unchristlike. You're speaking in anger. Uh you got to choose your words carefully. It says in Colossians 4, 6, when you talk, look at this, you should always be kind and pleasant so that you will be able to answer everyone in the way that you should. Underline always. You should always be kind and gentle. It doesn't say sometimes, but that's the way we read it, and we'll even make excuses for ourselves sometimes in our bad behavior. Well, you had that coming because I had a hard day at work. You should have known better than to talk to me when that... You should know I have a hair trigger by now. 
it's your fault that I blew up on you. No. No, it's not. It's your fault if you're the one that did it. The Bible says always keep a governor on your mouth. Now, Jesus talks about the heart. He says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You need to have a heart change. Guys, how do you have a heart change? Who helps you change from the inside out? Is it you? And I just need to try harder. No, you need to lean into Jesus harder. Jesus and the Holy Spirit will help you change from the inside out. Okay? It's not just an act of will. Um, In James 3.17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times. Underline at all times. Does it say sometimes? Gentle sometimes. Gentle unless I had a bad day. Gentle unless I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. Gentle unless my back is hurting. Gentle unless the dog hadn't crapped on the floor this morning. It doesn't say that. It says always, at all times, right? There is no excuse for you acting like a spoiled brat to the people around you or acting mean to the people around you. Or speaking in anger to the people around you. There's never an excuse for that. But it's amazing the excuses people will come up with to justify this sometimes. There is no excuse for being unchristlike. The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. How many of you struggle with this? You want to let somebody else have their way. You want to let somebody else win the argument. It's hard to do i got to have the last word. i got to let them know. i got to stick it to them. Right? i got to do it. Now, it may not feel right to let somebody else win sometimes. It may not feel right in your flesh. Because our sinful nature a lot of times, what is natural, and this is another excuse we use sometimes, is is, is the, well, that's just how I work, kind of, or that's just who I am. If it feels natural, that doesn't mean it's Christ-like. A lot of times, being Christ-like is about the most unnatural thing I can do. Guys, there have been people that I have gotten into conflict with where I have literally cried tears because I had to be nice to them. I'm not even joking. You can ask my wife. There have been people that I have bawled in our house because I have had to be nice to them when I don't want to be nice to them. I want to punch them in their freaking faces because that's what they deserve in my heart. It's not what they deserve, right? It's not what they do, but that's what what feels natural. Whenever I was growing up, if I got bullied, you want to know what I did to a bully? I punched him in his dang mouth. And they quit being bullies. I'm still the same way as an adult. If I feel like somebody's pushing me around, as a grown man, my first inclination is to knock their lights out. As a grown man. Guys, that is, that is childish. But that's still what I want to do sometimes. I have a horrible temper, right? Horrible, like scary. Homicidal, Right? But that's childish, and that's unchristlike. 
to act that way. Now, I could make the excuse, I could make all kinds of excuses to justify my behavior. But I can't look at Jesus and justify any of that. That is immature, it is unchristlike, it is childish. But it feels right, right? No. Being Christ-like does not feel right sometimes because I have a sinful nature inside of me, and my sinful nature draws me away from being Christ-like. Guys, dogs just do what comes natural to them, right? Any of you in here pet owners? Sometimes your pets do stuff that comes natural to your pet that you wish they didn't do, right? We're not going to get into all of those things because that would be a distraction, but they do think, but that's just their, their beast. You know, you go read the Re- uh, Revelation, it talks about the sign of the beast. Okay, we're not going to get into all that theo- theological stuff uh, uh, this morning. But basically, the people that are playing not on Jesus' team are associated with the sign of the beast. That's because when we're a beast, we're just, we just do what feels natural. We, don't, we, we just do what feels natural when we're just acting like animals, Right? That's your sinful nature. Your sinful nature is just your animal instinct. It's just whatever feels good in the moment. That's what you do. You don't think about the consequences. You don't think about who it's going to affect. You don't think about the spiritual aspects. You just do what feels good in the moment. If it feels good in the moment to fly off the handle and let somebody have it, you just do that. That's worldly. That's beast-like. You're acting like a dog. You're not acting like a spiritual creature created in the image of God. Okay? Jesus calls us higher. We do things that don't feel natural. Number four. I've got to put a governor on my mouth. And number four, I need to value saving people over keeping the rules. I need to value saving people over keeping the rules. Now, in the Bible, you'll see this come up over and over again. There are instances where God shows he cares more about people than he does about the rules. Now, what I mean by that is, for instance, one time Jesus' followers were hungry. Whenever Jesus was walking around with with the 12, uh, they were going from town to town. There was one Sabbath day where they didn't have any food. And they were walking into this place where there was a field. And technically, uh, the rule on the Sabbath was you don't go work in the field on the Sabbath. Well, they were hungry and hadn't eaten, so they went and grabbed some heads of grain and they just ate it. The act of grabbing grain out of the field was an act of work, which means it was against the rules. The religious people got really upset by this because they broke a rule, and they were all about keeping the rules, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And so this caused a problem. Guys, there are other times where Jesus uh, healed people on a Sabbath day, and he got in big trouble with the religious people because he was breaking a rule. But What you see over and over is God cares more about the people than he does sometimes about the rules. The rules in the Bible, all of those Sabbath rules and everything else, the point of those was to love people. The point of those was to make sure people got taken care of. The point of the rule was the people. That was the point of it. The system was there for the people. It was to make sure people got taken care of. It wasn't about the rule. It says in Matthew 23, 23, this is Jesus now answering these Pharisees who were criticizing him for breaking a rule. He said, you Pharisees are careful to tithe 10% of every part of your income, right down to their spice rack. 
You're careful to tithe 10% of every part of your income, but then you ignore other part, important matters of God's law, justice and showing mercy and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you also shouldn't neglect the more important things. Okay, He says right here, you should tithe. Yeah, that's important. It's important to keep that. But what matters more is people. If, if God says to do something, you should do it, right? But don't get so bogged down in the rules that you forget this is all about relationship. This is all about relationship. Now, I want to transition to, to close out our lesson this morning just to talk about a few ways that we can practically show mercy. And we could add to this list, but these are six major areas uh, that I think we can, we can pay attention to and that will just help us starting out. So there's six ways you can be an agent of mercy in the world. Um, these are opportunities where you can practically be an agent of mercy for those around you. First of all, I can serve as God's agent of mercy. Is Number one, I look for people in crisis and listen to them. I look for people in crisis and listen to them. So people in the middle of a crisis need to be listened to. They need to be heard. They need to know that there are people around them who care. And I really like Galatians 6.2 on this point. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. So what's a burden? Well, you could have a physical burden. You could have a financial burden. You could have a relational burden. Uh, but I think the burden that probably hurts the most is honestly an emotional burden. And a lot of people come into relationship with God carrying really heavy emotional burdens. Or sometimes uh, when things go wrong in our families or with our loved ones, it causes these emotional burdens that we carry around. And the way you can practically help someone with an emotional burden is by listening to them. And I know that doesn't sound like much. You say, just listening to them? Yeah. You want to know what you're doing whenever you're listening to someone share their emotional burden with you, you are taking some of that burden on to yourself just through empathy. And what happens when you share a burden is the burden is cut in half because somebody else is taking it on to themselves. You need to listen. You need to listen. Secondly, I serve as God's agent of mercy as I look for people with unmet needs and help them. Number two is I look for people with unmet needs, and I help them. And these are practical needs, guys. Do you need a car? Do you need a ride? Do you need a place to stay? Do you need someone to help you to get to the doctor? Do you need something in your house fixed that you can't get fixed by yourself? Do you need uh, help paying a bill? Do you need groceries? Okay? These are all practical needs. Look for them. Look for people in need and meet that need. It says in Romans 15, each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waited right in and helped out. Man, can we avoid other people's troubles sometimes, right? We can. He waited 
right in and helped. Now, we have Manasseh Ministries here at the Crossings. Um, Those are formal ministries for people that have struggled with things like childhood sexual abuse or have gone through a divorce. Uh, We have uh, classes for people that are dealing with grief. We have classes for people that are dealing with financial issues. We have all kinds of training and help practically. Uh, But I want to encourage you guys, don't just rely on the church and our programs to take care of people's needs. If you personally see somebody in need and you personally can do something about it, you personally need to. That's what being Christ-like is. So get your hands dirty, engage, serve people. Uh, Number two, I serve as God's agent of mercy when number two, I look for people who are grieving and comfort them. I look for people who are grieving and comfort them. Now, every day there are people around us who experience loss. Guys, that's just part of life. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be financial losses. It could be uh, losing a dream of some kind. Losing and loss is a universal problem. All of us are going to experience loss in life. And what happens when you experience a loss is you grieve. You experience grief, and grief is no fun. But there's none of us in here who aren't going to grieve in life. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others who are in trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. God says, I'm going to comfort you in your loss, and I want you to take that comfort, and I want you to share it. I want you to be generous with it. Now, one of the things you'll notice about God is he calls us to be generous with everything that's good, right? And he gives us a lot of good things. And God's intention in giving you love, God's intention in giving you peace, God's intention in giving you comfort is so that you have that same love, that same peace, and that same comfort to share with somebody else. You guys see how this works? You're given to so that you can give. You receive so that you can give. It's always about generosity and giving with God and with Jesus. Number four, I serve as God's agent of mercy. As number four, I look for people needing friends and show hospitality. I look for people needing friends and I show hospitality. What Jesus would have us do is look out for people who need friends. People who are shy, people who are reticent. I'm not talking about people who are the life of the party. Okay, They probably don't need friends. I'm talking about people that get overlooked. I'm talking about people that don't get paid attention to. Those are the kinds of people that Jesus paid attention to the most. It was the people on the outskirts. It was the people on the edges. It was the outcasts right? He intentionally goes and, and makes it his goal to help them. It says in Romans 12, 13, look for opportunities to be hospitable. Do you guys notice how many of the passages we're looking at this morning say, look, watch out for, look for? Okay, that's a, that's a theme that we see. We look for opportunities to be hospitable here. And hospitality isn't something that is really intentionally practiced anymore. 
we try to do this here at the crossings. You know, one of the things we do is uh, at the end of every lesson, we put that graphic up on the screen that says, here's how you can connect. Uh, we want to be a church that fosters hospitality, and we're just, it's part of our culture. But I tell you, when you invite somebody over for dinner that doesn't know you very well, you guys know that doesn't happen very much anymore. Now, this used to be something a long time ago that was a lot more common, but as we've gotten more individualistic and, uh, you know, the iPod generation turned into the iPhone generation, we just kind of are to ourselves all over the place with our earbuds in, watching Netflix, isolated. Uh, it's weird for somebody to invite you to come over and hang out just to get to know you or to invite you over to come for dinner. That's kind of weird now, but guys, that needs to be normal. And we need to normalize this here. This is an easy way to make a friend is have them over for dinner. Have them over for dinner. Go, go and spend some time with them. This is radical behavior, but it shouldn't be. Okay, It really shouldn't be. It should just be part of our culture. This is a practical way that you can, that you can love on people. It's just to be hospitable. It says in Matthew 25, 35, I was alone and you welcomed me and showed me hospitality. Now Jesus says this. And he says it in the context of helping anybody in need. Okay, He says this to people, if you help somebody in need, Jesus sees it just like you're helping him if he was in need. If you help somebody who is lonely, not to be lonely, Jesus says it's just like you helped me. Okay, Because that's how much Jesus loves that lonely person. He says, I'm just going to count it just like you did that for me personally whenever you do that for somebody else. Jesus loves people that much. That's how much we need to love people. Number five, I serve as God's agent of mercy is number five. I look for people who need a second chance. I look for people who need a second chance. All of us in here, at one point or another, have needed a second chance. Amen? Now, anytime you experience failure, you need another chance. And this is just a fact of life. We're going to experience failure. You're going to have a failed business. You're going to have potentially a failed marriage. You're going to have potentially failed sobriety. You're going to have relational failure. You're going to blow it with your kids. Kids, you're going to blow it with your parents. You're going to fail, right? What do we need when we fail? We need second chances. And God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and on and on. As long as we repent, guys, he will give us another chance. That's all he asks. And it says in 2 Corinthians 2.7, When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so they won't give up in despair. Guys, you're being an agent of mercy. You're being someone who gives mercy to people who don't deserve it is the way to help that person change and do better. If you want to be an agent of mercy in the world, if you want to help make the lives of people better, you've got to be a person who is rich in mercy and short on condemnation. That's how you do it. And that's how Jesus does it. And what happens when we don't receive mercy is we want to give up. We want to fall into despair. Guys, despair is not a fun place to live. It's not a fun place to live. But the way we can help people not go there is by being merciful and giving people a second chance. That's one of the most powerful ways we can show mercy to others. And lastly, I serve as God's agent of mercy. Is number six, 
I look for people who are rude and be kind to them. This is a fun one, isn't it? I look for people who are rude and I be kind to them. A lot of times, guys, there are people who are habitually rude. Uh, and the reason, anytime you find somebody who is habitually rude and mean to others, it is because there is a deep hurt that that person has experienced. And that is an unresolved hurt that they are carrying around. And so they go through life being jerks to everybody, acting in contempt because they, at some point, have been wounded. At some point. And so... The, to keep from being wounded again, they say, well, I'm just, and they may not internally say this, but this is what their behavior does. They say, I'm not going to let anybody get close to me. I'm going to push everybody away because I don't want anybody to hurt me again. You've heard the old saying, right? Hurt people do what? They hurt people. We say that a lot. If you've been hurt, that's why you're hateful. If you're combative and mean, why? Because you got hurt. Somebody broke a trust. Somebody hurt you. Whenever you encounter someone who's being unkind and mean, what is your first inclination? Okay, it's either to withdraw. I guarantee you, everyone, depending on your personality, it's either going to be to withdraw from that person or it's going to be to give it back to that person and be mean back. That just, that's just a personality thing, okay? Those are going to be, that's going to be what's natural for you. Okay, that's going to be what's natural. What did I say earlier about being Christ-like? Does it feel right? Okay, you want to know one of the things the Mormons teach, uh, which Mormons, they're non-Christians, right? They, they have another Jesus that they follow. One of the things that's in their book uh, that they made up is you just need to go pray something, pray about something, and uh, if it feels right, then that's, the God, that's, that's God leading you that way, if it feels right, right? That's not in the Bible, you know what's in the Bible? Be Christ-like even when it doesn't feel right. What the Bible says is in my sinful nature, I'm, I'm a sinner and I do wrong. It's a good thing Jesus is in my life to show me how I should be, right? It's not going to feel right to be nice to somebody when they're rude to you. It's not going to feel right to love somebody when they've broken trust and hurt you. It's not going to feel right to offer forgiveness whenever they really don't deserve it. It's not going to feel right because that's, that's the definition of mercy. It's giving forgiveness when they don't deserve it. It's the definition of grace, giving mercy when they don't deserve it. That's, that's the definition of the word. Their deserving it has nothing to do with their receiving it from you. It's Christ-like to give it when it's not deserved. Now, that doesn't mean in, in some situations that that restores trust instantly, especially in situations of abuse or things like that. That doesn't trust you got to build, right? But you can give mercy instantaneously in forgiveness. You don't have to jump back in with both feet into a relationship uh, just because you've forgiven someone. Sometimes there needs to be some healthy boundaries and things in place to protect all parties involved, but forgiveness and mercy is something you can give instantaneously. It is. And that's what God calls us to do. This point, look for people who are rude and be nice to them. Guys, with somebody that's wounded, 
that's going through life being mean to everybody, that's being rude to everybody, you want to know what it's going to do for them when you're nice to them anyway? It's going to blow their minds because they're not used to that. They're not used to that. It's going to blow their minds when you show them mercy. You want to know what else it's going to do? It's going to open the door for possibilities for you to influence them in maybe a way that nobody else in their life ever has. Because you're treating them in a way they know they don't deserve. And deep down, they don't feel very good about themselves. If they're acting like that, the, the root cause a lot of times when somebody is acting like that is they feel like a big piece of trash deep down. And they, they don't just feel like it. They believe they are a big piece of trash. And the reason they can be so mean to everybody all the time is because they're so, they, they internally say, well, I'm just a big piece of trash anyway. I'm just acting like, like myself. And guys, nothing could be further from the truth in terms of how God views that person. One of the things that's awesome about Jesus is he doesn't see where a person is in the moment. He sees where they could be. Whenever Jesus looks at a person, he dreams for them. Let me ask you, for those people in your life that you have the most trouble with, what if that person was being all that Jesus was calling them to be? Would you want to be close to him then? Let me ask you another question. How are they going to get there if somebody doesn't love them? Love is what changes people. Love is what opens the door where it's even a possibility. And that doesn't mean that they're going to walk through the door. Guys, they were created in the image of God just like you were. They get to make their own choices ultimately. We are not little robots. But what we can do as followers of Christ is what we can do. And that's all I really have control over. Am I loving this person the way Jesus would have me love this person? That doesn't mean they're going to change for sure, but am I doing everything I can do to make sure that I'm doing everything I can do? Does that make sense? God is calling you to be a person of love and a person of mercy. And the people who most need your love and mercy are going to be the people that it feels the most unnatural to give it to. And you, sitting in that chair, when I said that, you have people in mind. I don't know if I could love them. I don't know if I could forgive them. I don't know if I could show them mercy. And again, guys, in instances of abuse, I'm not saying the relationship goes back to the way that it was. What I am saying is you can forgive that person and you can choose to love that person even if you can't trust them right now. Does that make sense? Okay. What God is calling you to do is be a person of love. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the lesson this morning. Um, oh, 1 Peter 3.9, guys. Did, we didn't read these, did we? Sorry, 1 Peter 3.9. Don't repay evil for evil. Never retaliate when people insult you or say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a what? Doesn't say let them have it, right? 
pay them back with a blessing. That's what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. And then I want to close with this, Hebrews 6.10. This is a promise, guys. It says, God will not forget the work you've done and the love you've shown him by caring for and helping other people. Guys, one of the constant themes is as you do these things that feel unnatural sometimes, you need to remember God is going to reward you for your faithfulness. He's going to reward you. He sees what you're doing, and that's important, okay? We need to be people of love. Uh, We're going to go ahead and wrap up this morning. Uh, You've got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin called a communication card, and that's going to give you an opportunity to respond. I would like to invite all of our uh, folks to pull that out now, members and guests alike. Go ahead and pull out that communication card. Uh, We're going to sing a song here in a moment, and that's going to give you an opportunity to fill that out. Um, If there's anything we can do to help you, we, we offer a lot of services here at the church. Uh, we would love to help you if you need some specialized help. Guys, we have a lot of things. You can look that over and see uh, what all we offer. Um, I'll tell you, if you ask for help with a specific issue, like one of our classes or something, we're going to connect you with people who have overcome whatever that issue is that you're dealing with, with God's help. And it's not because we're so special. It's because God is. It's not because we're so smart, guys, but God is. And so all we do here at this church is we try to take what God says and apply it to our lives. If he says to do something, we try to do it. If he says not to do something, we try not to. And sometimes we blow it. But we get up, dust ourselves off, and try again. Uh, What I do want to invite you to do today, though, besides fill out that card, I want to also invite you to connect. The way God works in your life is through relationships with his people. Uh, There are three things you need in your life to really be okay. That's God's word, that's God's spirit, and that's God's people. If you don't have a tight relationship with all three of those things in your life, there's going to be aspects of your life that are going to be jacked up. There's going to be things that, there's going to be blessings that God would have for you that you're cutting yourself off from. You need his word in your life, you need his spirit in your heart, you need his people in your family. That's what you need. I want to invite you, if, this is, if you're visiting or just new here, I want to invite you to connect today. That could be as simple as going out to lunch with somebody. Uh, that could be as simple as going to get a cup of coffee later this week or something. Make a friend today. Don't just come here and, and, and take in the message and leave. I want to encourage you, make a friend. Make that your goal. We've also got uh, Mercy Groups meeting this week. Uh, if you would like to attend one of those, what we're doing in those groups is we're taking this lesson from today, uh, and we're, we got a workbook we're going through, and we're saying, how do we apply this to our life? Um, there's groups that are meeting for adults on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday uh, in various places. We've got groups for college students. We've got groups for teens. Um, we'd love for you to participate in those, okay? Um, so if you'd like more information about that, just speak to one of our leaders, uh, or if you're a college student, speak with one of the campus ministers or cell leaders that brought you. Uh, and we'll get you connected. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, you'll have an opportunity to fill that card out, and then we'll sing one more song uh, after this first one, and we'll pass some baskets, and you can drop that card in there, okay? Uh, do want to invite you to respond. Let's pray. God, as uh, we close out today, I pray you will help us make the decisions we need to make and make the changes we need to make. God, if we need to ask for help, I pray you help us to be brave and ask for help. 
if, uh, if we aren't connected here, I pray that you will help us get connected. Help us to be brave and make a friend here today. Uh, God, I pray everybody here know this is a safe place. This is not a place where anybody's going to look down on anybody else for any reason. God, if there's something we're struggling with that we need help with, help us to know we're not going to get judged. We're going to get help. Help us to be brave and ask, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amazing grace.